That Christian rap song was released in 1992 by a group called DC Talk. They were uh, three young men who attended Liberty University in the late 80s, uh, created uh, the rap group uh, DC Talk. Uh, Toby Mack is uh, someone who's probably familiar uh, with you. He was one of those guys. And at the time that that song was released, Kathy and I had just moved back uh, from California uh, to Harrisburg. I was uh, 28 years old at the time, and the Leonzos were living a, a carefree lifestyle. For the most part, for those first 28 years of my life, uh, pretty much everything had gone well. I didn't really have anything bad happen in my life, save when I was 12. We've talked about this before, when my uh, mom's dad, my grandpa Baker, died of alcoholism or the of the results of alcoholism at the age of 56. But if you fast forward 30 years, oh, how things have changed, especially my understanding of time and death. Back in the early 90s, I assumed that there would always be a tomorrow. And if we live long enough, we simply discover that is not the case. And the Bible tells us consistently from the Old Testament through the New Testament that time truly is ticking away and that tomorrows may not come. In Ecclesiastes, we read these words, for man does not know his time. Like fish, they are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of men are snared at an evil time when it suddenly fails, falls upon them. And then in the New Testament, the book of James, we read these words, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know that tomorrow, what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I first discovered the truth of those verses in 1994 when my dad's mom, my grandma Leonzo, passed away from a heart attack unexpectedly in her sleep. Seven years later, in 2001, as a brand new pastor, I was reminded of the fleeting nature of life as I stared at the lifeless body of a teenage daughter of a member of our church family who was killed in a traffic accident. In 2008, I stood weeping and the NICU of the Hershey Medical Center as my dear friends Brett and Helen placed their precious eight-day-old son, William, into the arms of Jesus. Three years after that, my good friend, Dr. Ron Alexander, who was a blessed cancer doctor in central Pennsylvania, beloved by many, died from a massive heart attack while he was crewing on Lake Pinchot. 
And then in 2014, Kathy's mom died after a long struggle with cancer, and my uncle died in his sleep just six months after he retired from Giant. But the reminders didn't stop there. On January 15th, 2015, around 4 o'clock, I stood over the body of my beloved friend and ministry partner, Pastor Andrew, who unexpectedly died at the age of 50. And since then, there have been overdoses, COVID deaths, car accidents, suicides, and even two murders. And the list goes on and on and on. Over my 20 plus years of, of ministry, I have officiated at well over 100 funerals. And each time I am reminded that for every one of us, time is ticking away. And it is this fact that our lives have an earthly fixed limit that I want to talk about this morning. But it's not just our lives that have the, this fixed limit. You see, the world as we know it also has a fixed limit because there is a day coming. It might be tomorrow. It might be next week, next month, next year, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now, when the words of 2 Peter 3.10 will come to fulfillment. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You see, at some point, you and I will die and go and meet Jesus, or we will be alive and Jesus will come and meet us. And it is those two facts that should radically cause us to, to carefully consider how we live from this moment forward. Because time, brothers and sisters, is ticking away. So let's get started. If you have a Bible with you, we're continuing our series in Romans. We're going to go to Romans chapter 13, going to finish up chapter 13 with the last few verses, verses 11 through 14. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the tables around the room. It'll also be on the big screen. And uh, once you have that passage, if you would please stand in honor of God's word. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. Besides this, you know that the time, besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, 
not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, over the last two months, as we have uh, made our way through chapter 12 and chapter 13 of Romans, uh, we have discovered a lot of things. And in these two challenging chapters, God details his extraordinarily high expectations, his extraordinarily high standards of godly moral living for those who call themselves Christians. Over the last two months, uh, we have learned that we are called to be living sacrifices. People who, who die to themselves, who die to their own desires, and who live for God and live for God's desires. We are called to be transformed by the gospel and not conformed to the world. We're called to, to be a humble people, considering others are, are better than ourselves. We're to live in unity with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to bless those who hurt us, to be kind to those who hate us. We're to overcome evil with good. We are to submit ourselves to, to the governing authorities. And ultimately, we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. And living like this, that, that is crazy hard because it goes completely against our fallen nature that is constantly pulling us to, to live for ourselves and not live for God and not live for others. And even when we repent of our sins, even when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, even when, when God deposits his Holy Spirit inside of us and, and empowers us for this holy, righteous living, folks, it's still hard. It's so easy to take for granted what Jesus has done for us. It's so easy to, to coast through life, to, to not take seriously God's call on our lives for holy living, to not share the gospel with others, to, to just wallow in persistent sin, to store up treasures in, on earth rather than storing them up in heaven, it's so easy to ignore the plight of the poor and the marginalized. And it's so easy to think that we have plenty of time to begin to live holy lives. So what in the world will motivate us to change? What in the world will, will, will cause us to, to desire to, to live fully for the Lord? What will drive us to, to live lives that, that God is calling us to live in, in Romans chapter 12 and Romans chapter 13? I believe we find the answer here in verse 11. This is what it says. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. 
For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And when you look at this passage and you look at the reference up there and it says Romans 13, 11, you'll, you'll see uh, in parentheses three little letters. It's, it's, it's ESV. It stands for English Standard Version. That's the version, the translation of the ancient text that we use here at Living Water Community Church. And, and we've chosen to use the English Standard Version because it is, is a word-for-word translation of the original text. And, but there's problems with that at times. At times, it, a word-for-word translation can become a little bit of wooden. It sometimes does not necessarily convey the actual thoughts. Sometimes it's, it's really hard to understand because things don't always translate easily from the Hebrew to the English or from the Aramaic to the English or from the Greek to the English. And so we run into this verse here and, and we try to figure out what in the world does the apostle mean, Paul mean when he says, besides this, you know the time. And when we get confused and we see something like that and we don't quite understand it, it's helpful to look at times at other translations of the Bible to see how other translators have done it. And one of the Bible translations that's helpful to look at at times is the New International Version because the New International Version is a little bit different because their translation style is a thought-for-thought translation, not necessarily a word-for-word translation. And the NIV, I believe, helps us understand this a little bit. And this is how the NIV translators give us this passage. They say this, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Now, folks, this is a little bit clearer because now we have these three words, and do this, and it makes sense to us. He's saying, in in light of all the things that I've just told you, This is what I want you to do. And what does he want us to do? The things that he has taught us in Romans chapter 12 and Romans chapter 13. All of those crazy hard things. He's saying, this is how you will do it. And we do it, why? Because we understand the present time. And the Greek word that has been translated time means the appointed hour. Uh, It would be like when we say, you know, now is the time for us to leave for vacation. So we are called to to thoughtfully consider what time, what is the appointed time, in in not a temporal sense like January 25th or or June 25th or June 26th, but in an eternal sense. And what is the eternal sense? It's there at the end of verse 11 that our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Now, when the Bible speaks of salvation, it speaks in three different ways about salvation, three different phases about salvation. Typically, you and I, when, when we think of salvation, is we think of the point of when we've come to faith and Jesus Christ. But the Bible looks at, at, at three different phases. There, there's a, a, a past phase, a present phase, and a future phase. And, and the first phase is salvation past. There's a term for salvation past. It's called justification. 
Justification is the, the judicial act, the, the legal act where God forgives all of our sins, our past sins, our present sins, our future sins, and he declares us righteous in his eyes and free from guilt and punishment. It's something that has happened in the past. This is the salvation that is talked about in Romans 10 when we read these words. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, there's a second phase of salvation, salvation present, and it's sanctification. Sanctification is, is the ongoing, lifelong process that you and I grow in our salvation, where we become more and more like Jesus, where each and every day we, we reject the things of the world, we embrace the things of God. And it's what the Apostle Paul speaks about in Philippians 2 when he says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's saying that our salvation is something that we work out, something that, that we work on each and every day to get stronger and stronger in, in, in becoming more and more like Jesus and getting stronger and stronger in rejecting the things, the sinful things of the world. And then there is a third phase of salvation. Salvation future. It's called glorification. And glorification is when we, who have repented of our sins and have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, leave this world either by death or by the return of Jesus and we enter into eternity in heaven. Paul articulates this in Philippians 3. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And it's this third phase of salvation what Lisa Anderson is now experiencing. When we die or when Jesus comes back to get us that Paul is referring to here in Romans 13, 11, where he says, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Why should we live for God and not for ourselves? Why should we get serious about uh, pursuing godliness and rejecting sin? Because from the moment that I began this message, every one of us is 15 minutes closer to eternity. Every single one of us. And if there's one thing I know, it's that I don't know when I'm going to die, and I don't know when Jesus is going to return. You see, I, I don't know when my heart is going to stop beating. When I drive home from church today, I don't know if the person in the oncoming car on Derry Street is going to be in the process of checking their Twitter feed. 
and they stray across the line into my path and kill me. When I go flying with the Civil Air Patrol on, on Wednesday afternoon of this week, I can't be completely sure that that engine in front of the plane is going to continue running through the entire flight. I can't be positive that the wings aren't going to rip off the aircraft because there's some microscopic cracks that a mechanic hasn't noticed. When I'm walking down the street, I don't know if, if the person who's approaching me is going to mug me. I give him my $3 that are in my wallet. He thinks that's not enough, and he takes my life. I'm not guaranteed the next minute. I'm not guaranteed the next day, week, month, year, or decade, and neither are you. And nor do we know when Jesus is coming back. And if somebody tells you that they do know, they are lying to you. For some 2,000 years, the clock has been ticking on Jesus' return. But what we do know is that Jesus' return, while it may not be immediate as in this moment, the Bible tells us that it is imminent, that it could happen at any time. And brothers and sisters, you and I not knowing when we're going to die, and you and I not knowing when Jesus is going to return, should drive us, a people who claim the name of Christ, to do exactly what the Apostle Paul calls us to do in verse 12. He says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, that is a startling command. Why is it startling? Because of the audience to which it is written. Paul is not talking to non-Christians. He isn't talking to people who've yet to come to faith in Christ. He is talking to Christians. People like, like you and me. People who, who have repented of their sins. People who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. People who have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And he is telling us that we need to do two things. And the first is to cast aside, to put off, the works, the deeds of darkness. And throughout the Bible, you will see darkness contrasted with light. And it's used to distinguish between good and evil, moral and immoral behaviors. The night and the darkness is when all the bad things happen. Where all the sin comes out where the people who are engaged in sinful and moral behavior because they don't want other people to know what's going on. And we understand this because every one of us, me including, indulges in sin at times. And how do we indulge in that sin? We don't do it in the wide open typically. Typically the blinds are closed. Typically you're making sure no one's around. Nobody can see. You go and hide. You don't want anybody to know. I don't want anybody to know. That's why it's called darkness. And then 
the day, in the light. That's where the people are engaged in good and moral behavior, things that we don't want to be hidden, people that we, that, that we want other people to see. And we get this. Whenever we sin, whenever we're engaging in it, we hide it. We conceal it. Now, I could get very personal right now. And I could specifically talk to you about the things that I'm tempted to do in the darkness. But fortunately for me, the Apostle Paul summarizes them for us. And this is what he says in verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Here we find three groups of behaviors which are sinful that Christians engage in. Back in the first century, and also in the 21st century. The first group is startling. They're words that you don't use in proper behavior. Orgies and drunkenness. Together they, they carry the idea of, of being engaged in, in, in wild parties where, where absolutely anything goes, where people cast aside any kind of boundaries. And both of these words, folks, they're in the plural. The reason they're in the plural is because these aren't one-time things for Christians. For some Christians, these are lifestyle things. They come here and they do their things in the light. And then they go away and they do these things in the darkness. The second group is sexual immorality and sensuality. And we need to remember that the Bible speaks of sexual immorality as a comprehensive term, which is any type of sexual behavior that occurs outside the bounds of a covenant marriage between one man and one woman. Sexual immorality in the Bible is, is homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexuality, premarital sex, adultery, prostitution, pornography, and the like. These two are in the plural. They're a reminder that they are ongoing things. Now, some of us are like, yes! I just dodged a bullet. Those aren't me. Paul hasn't lumped me in. I don't fit into those two, those two categories. Well, you can feel comfortable for about a millisecond because then he comes along and he brings us the third group. Quarreling and jealousy. These are things that society considers to be lesser sin perhaps even acceptable sin. And in some cases, no sin at all. But God makes no distinction. These are sins of the heart, not necessarily sins of the body. But to God, sin 
is sin. It all separates us from a holy God. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are, we are called to, to put them off, to literally take them off, to remove them from our lives. And in their place, we're told to put on, in verse 14, the Lord Jesus, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So the first thing we're to do is to put aside the deeds of darkness. The second thing we are to do is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, we immense ourselves so deeply in Jesus that, that he directs and guides our behaviors and thoughts. And this is not a one-time thing. It's not like you put on Jesus and you're all good to go. It's a, a continuing process. This is a battle I live out every single day. My, I'll be really honest here. My prayer on a Sunday morning is this. Lord, let me not fail you Sunday afternoon and Monday. Why is that? Because this is, this is exhausting. It's exhausting. And, and, and what happens is when you're tired and you go home and you just want to chill out, my natural inclination sometimes isn't to, to put on Tom and Jerry. My natural inclination is to, let's watch something on Netflix, you know. And, and it may not be a sexual thing, but it, it could be a highly violent thing. All of that. And, and I'm not here slamming movies or anything. like. I'm just telling you what my life is like. I don't want to fail him on Sunday afternoon or on Monday. When I've got free time, when there's no one watching, when I'm not thinking about things. And I would imagine there are those times in your life too where sin is just lurking, waiting for you to, to, to succumb to it. And God is saying, Mike, pull that stuff off yourself. Clothe yourself in me. I'm where hope is. I'm where joy is. I can actually satisfy. I, I can cure your tiredness. You don't need to numb your tiredness, Mike. I can cure your tiredness. And full, absolute victory over sin will never come until we're ultimately standing in the presence of God. That sin nature, though, though it's been crucified, though it's been destroyed, it keeps wanting to, to rear its ugly little head. It's like a dandelion in a yard. You can chop that sucker down, but it wants to keep growing at times. And until that point where we're in the presence of God, we must daily, perhaps hourly, strip away the sin that rises up and engulfs us and put on the pure love of Jesus. And putting on, on the, the love of Jesus is living out what we have learned over the last two months. It's faithfully using the, the gifts that God has given us as we work together with our brothers and sisters in Christ to be a blessing in this very dark world. It's what we did this past week at Vacation Bible School where, where 100 plus people in our church family work together to bless our community beautiful time together. It's abhorring evil 
and holding fast to what is good. Sadly, sometimes I hold fast to evil and abhor what is good. It's, it's loving one another with brotherly and sisterly affection. It's being part of a family. And even though you may not agree completely with the other person, you still love them. And you care about them. And you are kind to them. Why? Because they're family. It's blessing those who persecute us and weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. It's living peaceably with others in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. It's serving our enemies. It's subjecting ourselves to governing authorities. It's responsibly paying off our debts, except for the one debt that we can never pay off, and that's love. And most of all, it is loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and loving our neighbor as ourself. And it's doing the hard things, but the right things. Things that we want to be found doing when our heart stops beating that last time. Or when the clouds part and Jesus is standing in our presence. So how does all this fit together? When we begin to realize that time is actually ticking away. When we consider that, that God has called us to, to be not only his hands and feet, but also, also his mouthpiece in this dark and dying world. When we recognize that the world desperately, desperately needs to see Jesus. When we live our lives fully aware that tomorrow is not guaranteed, it drives us out of our spiritual slumber and our spiritual malaise, and it opens our eyes to how much time we actually waste and how many resources we actually squander and how many opportunities that we lose and how many relationships that we destroy because we choose to live in the darkness, totally focused on ourselves, gratifying our sinful desires. And when this happens, when our eyes are open, when we wake up, when we shed the deeds of darkness, put armor on the armor of light, clothe ourselves in Jesus, we redeem our time. We skillfully deploy the resources. We take advantage of the opportunities that God has placed before us. We rebuild and restore relationships that have been broken. And we become who we say that we are. And our deeds and our words actually align. And God is glorified. Others are blessed. And we stand ready for the day that we will be in the presence of God. And we hear the words that I guarantee you that Lisa heard last night. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Folks, that's, I want that. 
I want to live like that. I, I, I don't want to live in, in the midst of being clothed in, in sin. I want to be clothed in the righteousness of God. I want to do the hard things. I want to love. I want to forgive. I want to strive to be holy, knowing that I won't make it all the time. But knowing that I have a Savior who loves me and cares about me and who will make me like him. That's where we need to be. That's what God wants us to be. And when we understand that time is ticking away, that will motivate us to begin to live like that. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for this time that we can study your word. And Lord, we acknowledge that you are holy, that your standard is so much higher than anything that we could obtain, but we thank you, Heavenly Father, that your Son obtained that standard for us. And we thank you, Father, that for those who have repented of their sins and received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you have deposited your Holy Spirit inside of us that empowers us to to put off the deeds of darkness and put on the deeds of light. God, would you help us to do that? Lord, with each waking day, would you remind us that this could literally be our last day? Lord, will we be motivated to crucify that persistent sin in our lives? Lord, to treat our neighbors better, to reconcile the relationships that have been broken. Lord, to humble ourselves, to love our enemies, to be kind to those who hurt us and in the process to glorify you. Lord, may we boldly share our faith in Jesus Christ with our words and with our deeds. And Lord, for those who might be in this room right now who have yet to come to faith in your Son, I pray, dear God, that they too might know that they will not live forever, that there will come a day that they will meet you, Jesus, and they have an opportunity to decide on that day or decide how that day will play out, whether they will meet Jesus the Savior or Jesus the Judge. God, you are good. We love you. Bless this church family now. And Lord, thank you.